Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you today. Would you stand with us, please, as we worship the Lord this morning in song? We are glad to have you here praising God with us this morning, lifting our voices as we worthy of all of our praise. Amen. 
and I would like you to turn to your neighbor, and I would like you to say hello, and I would like you to get their name, because we are so glad to have you here worshiping with us this morning at Crossroads Ministries.
wonderful singing this morning. You can have a seat as we continue this morning, praising God. He gave us voices not only to talk, to sing. And we'll be praising him in heaven with song. So some of us have voices that can sing, and some of us sometimes think that we don't. But I'm telling you, there's a sweet voice, sweet sound to God's ears when you praise his name in song.
you so much for your good singing today. You know, there's uh, a lot of real good energy in the church this morning. I think uh, some people haven't been outside for a while, and they came to church today with a lot of enthusiasm. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you and pull out that little black folder. If you'll be so kind to take that folder and put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting near you, we will appreciate that a lot today. Well, just, uh, just a few announcements. You'll notice when you came in the door back there in the foyer, there's this big box. Pastor Al Finney put that box there. And that box is supposed to be collecting books for the Philippines, uh, children's books. Uh, and so if you've uh, been saving some children's books that are in good repair, uh, bring them in, put them in that box. Al will get them over to the Philippines and they appreciate everything we send them. We've sent them a lot of theological books for their library, for their seminary over there. And uh, they're appreciating those, those a lot as well. So thank you in advance for bringing in those books. Also, if you weren't here last week, uh, we announced last week that we have gone over our Christmas goal. And uh, now we're taking any funds from here on out we're putting them in our mission fund. So uh, just continue to bring it in. Maybe you haven't put yours in yet. Just continue to bring it in. We'll put it in the missions fund. And we'll use that uh, this summer as, as we have need for it. We, uh, we, always, we always seem to have a need for it. So thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning, and we will receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can come together in your name. We thank you for our church and uh, for the love they have for you. And we pray now that as we give to your name, that our gifts will express how much we love you, Lord. You've provided uh, this income for us. You've given us a mind to work with, hands to work with. And uh, now we bring the fruit of that work here in the church and to support your ministry. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
one last time before Pastor comes and speaks. This is a song that we all know well. It talks about the assurance of salvation. And when you have asked Jesus to come into your heart as your Lord and Savior, there is assurance knowing that he is the one that saves us and that we will be spending one day with him in heaven. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God.
seated, please. Amen. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles today to the book of John, chapter 11. John chapter 11. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you today about the making of a miracle. Our Lord was an incredible miracle worker. But as you read through the book of John, you find that uh, the writer of John selected seven of our Lord's miracles. And he kind of strategically placed them throughout the book of John to validate uh, the ministry of Jesus, to really show people who Jesus is and what he can do. Uh, the purpose of the book of John is given to us in John chapter 20. The Bible says, and many other miracles Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So this is why so many times when somebody comes to Christ, we tell them, listen, go home and read the book of John. First, before you read anything else in the Bible, read the book of John, because it will solidify your decision for Christ. It will give you reasons why you have believed and reasons why you continue to believe. Let's re begin reading in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. There are so many times in our life that we send a message to our friends. My husband is sick. My wife is sick. My children are sick. My nephew is sick. Please pray for them. Uh, this has been going on for an awful long time. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, I've underlined that in my Bible because that really, really helps me. Because there is no other organization probably more interested in people's physical and spiritual health than the church. We want people to be healthy. We want people to be spiritually strong. And uh, when they are sick, it kind of takes the wind out of our sails. It kind of disappoints us all. Uh, Jesus said, listen, this sickness is not going to result in death, but it's for the glory of God. We need to be thinking about sickness to the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus didn't respond immediately. He didn't say, drop everything, let's go see Lazarus, let's see if we can help him. He stayed there for a purpose. Look at verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, 
but I go that, he may, that I may wake him. And I've written in the margin of my Bible this, his body sleeps, but not his soul. And that's what Jesus is referring to right here. We use the word sleep as a euphemism. That means a, a little kinder way to say that a person is dead. You know, there's just something about that word death and dead that is so final. And so uh, we use this term sleep, or we use other terms like um, uh, this person just passed away, or this person has gone on to their eternal reward. Uh, that's, uh, that's just a little bit easier way to describe this whole event. And so Jesus is describing it that way right here. Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now the disciples took him literally, not figuratively. And uh, his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Now that makes good sense, doesn't it? How many times has your mother or your father said, listen, you get in bed, you need rest. And uh, you went to bed and you rested and you got up and you said, well, I feel better. You know, when we sleep, it heals our body. Everybody knows that. And so that's what the disciples thought Jesus was talking about. However, Jesus spoke of his death, that they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them publicly, Lazarus is dead. Okay, you didn't get it. Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad, notice that, verse 15, for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus said, I'm glad I didn't respond to this right away, and you'll find out later why. Look at verse 19. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Uh, they were having this uh, extended funeral session. People were gathering together to bring them comfort. It is comforting, really, to have your friends come and put their arms around you and say, listen, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I hurt for you. You know, my heart hurts for you. That helps. You know, that helps a lot. Um, Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is trying to console her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Uh, so this was a common idea here. These people knew that one day the resurrection was going to take place. Resurrection day. Jesus said to her, uh, or Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Look at verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. I don't think many of us can go to a funeral home and see our friends crying over the loss of their loved ones without it breaking our heart, without making us cry because we hurt for them. Jesus feels like that. I believe, and you know this to be true, that Jesus hates death. He really does. He hates death. And he came to conquer it. And here's a good illustration that we're talking about this morning. And he said, where have you laid him? And he said, Lord, come and see the shortest verse in the English Bible is verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Tears are the blood of the soul, 
And uh, when we weep for somebody, people look at us and say, hey, listen, those people really care. They really love them. Uh, we see here in chapter 11 the making of a miracle. There are seven miracles in the book of John. And they're chosen for purpose. They are for the purpose of drawing people to personal faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the prophet, the prophet, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this is our Lord's third miracle of resurrection. If you study through the Gospels, you'll find that in Mark chapter 5, the daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead. In Luke chapter 7, there was a young man from a little village named Nain, the son of a widow, and they were having his funeral service. And when Jesus went over and put his hand on the coffin, and this young boy came back to life. So this is the third illustration that Jesus has power over death. Now, what really caused this whole miracle, the making of a miracle? It was, first of all, the pain of sickness. The problem is sickness. Sickness is the price that we pay for living in this cursed earth, being a part of the human race. It dates back all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Because of the fall, you and I have pain and sickness in this world. When the Lord was doling out uh, judgment for the sin of the Garden of Eden, he said to the woman, now listen, you're going to have pain in childbearing. And all the mothers in the church know what that's about. It's very painful. And to the men, when you go out to make a living, you're going to scratch in the ground and you're going to work and you're going to, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to try to make a living And some of you men come home at night, and and ladies as well, and you say, listen, every bone in my body hurts. And I've got hurts where I've never had hurts before. Living in this human race is painful. Christians are not shielded from suffering, sorrow, and death. There are some people in our church right now that are suffering greatly, and I'll tell you what, it's tearing our heart out, really, because we want to jump right in there and help the situations. You know, I'd go so far to say today that in our, the history of our church and probably other churches as like ours, we've done more praying over people's physical needs than any other single thing. Years ago, we used to come together in the church and the prayer meeting and the pastor would get up and say, now, do you have a prayer request? And everybody in the church raised their hand, the whole church. And there they went, pray for my uncle, he's going in for an operation. Pray for my sister, she has this problem. Pray for my aunt, pray for this. And by the time everybody got their prayer requests given out, you felt like you needed prayer because this is a heavy burden. Now, right now we do it differently. You put your prayer request on those pieces of paper that we turn in. And uh, the men in the men's gathering on Wednesday night, they take them out and they pray over them. And the ladies in the ladies' Bible study, they do the same thing in a... Thursday morning, we have a group of men that come in to pray over those things. Uh, The church is still praying, and I'm sure it will be to the end for people in their sicknesses. The person here is Lazarus, and the Bible says he was a friend of Jesus. Jesus was one of his family, really. You know, there's only one other person in the Bible specifically called a friend of God, and that was Abraham. But here we find Lazarus, and so... Jesus' heart was in some way knit with the heart of Lazarus. 
You know, Jesus was good at making friends. He really was. He liked to make friends of sinners. That was his specialty. When he went out, he got criticized. They said, listen, he's just a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And when he was confronted with that, he said, listen, the whole need not a physician, but those who are sick. These are the people that really need me, the people that know that they are sinners. And so in verse number three here in, in John chapter 11, uh, we have the pleading of the sisters. A message goes out. Their message was indirect. They didn't say, come today, come immediately. We know you'll come. They said, our brother is sick. Now, in our world, we wouldn't do it that casually. We would say, come immediately, Lord. The next 20 minutes would be fine for us. Please. We'd, we'd, we'd tack like a please on there <laughs> to take a little bit of the drama out of it. Well, Jesus said, listen, this is not going to result in death, but it's for the glory of God. For the glory of God. You know, I think our health is our most prized possession. And uh, when we fail physically, uh, we, uh, we sometimes ask ourselves, what's going on? Hebrews 5.8 says this, Though he was a son, referring to Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We learn things through health problems, don't we? Can I hear an amen? We learn things. When somebody comes to visit you in the ER and they say, okay, are you learning anything? You say, I'm learning a whole lot. I'm learning I'm not invincible. I'm learning that every day is a gift from God. That's why they call it the present. I'm learning these things. We find the coming of the miracle, the need of the miracle. Uh, the need was worse than they previously thought. First of all, they thought he was just sick, but then they finally learned, and Jesus said, listen, he's dead. Uh, this uh, ratchets it up. This is a higher form of miracle here. And so Jesus delayed. You know, when someone you love is sick, you can't find help fast enough for them, can you? And we're following some people's illnesses here in the church and, uh, and we try to do everything we can to help them and to, and to lift them up and to encourage them. And sometimes we say things like, well, you know, if we can't find help here in Pittsburgh, go over to Cleveland Clinic. And if you can't find help there, we heard about a new procedure in Houston, Texas. And so the next day, our people are on an airplane headed out to Houston. Well, uh, Jesus said he sleeps. It's the body that sleeps not the spirit within the body. The body sleeps in the dust waiting the resurrection. I can't tell you how many times I've walked through cemeteries and seen this epitaph on tombstones. Asleep in Jesus. And I think sometimes people misinterpreted that and they thought, well, the soul goes to sleep. No, the soul doesn't go to sleep. It's referring to the body. The body is asleep. And one day in the resurrection, the body will be reconstituted and resurrected from the grave. Well, the disciples said, listen, sleep is a good thing. Jesus said, delay is a good thing. We learn from that this, that our Lord's delays are not his denials. 
Sometimes we say, Lord, I really need this, and it doesn't happen, and we think, well, God's not going to bring it our way. Well, in God's time, he just may very well bring it your way. His delays are not his denials. John eleven fifteen from the New Living Translation really, uh, I think, clarifies this even better. Let's read this together this morning. And for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Jesus said, listen, this miracle of resurrection is to get you to believe in me. The whole book of John was to get people to believe in him, to trust him as their savior. This whole story is going toward that end. I want you to believe in me, and because of the sickness, you're going to get another opportunity. How many people have received Christ in sickness? Many. You know, pain is the opening through which God comes into our life. Whenever you and I are in pain, uh, God is saying, listen, I'm going to show you something. You had to slow down your life. You had to stop racing through this life for me to get your attention. Well, here we find the next point is Jesus is comforting the friends. He joined the comforters in verse number 19. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning his brother. Um, he's comforting them, the people most affected. And she said, well, you know, I believe in the resurrection in the last day, and that's a future resurrection. And you know, that's always comforting to know that. If the Lord doesn't heal us and give us an extended time, uh, we, um, we can always look to the resurrection, right? How many times have we um, gone to the cemetery and we have uh, said, listen, don't despair. The resurrection day is coming. And out of this ground... This body is going to be raised that's asleep in Jesus. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them who are asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. Paul said, listen, it's sorrowful for anybody to, to go to the graveside of their friend. But for a Christian, there's hope. And our hope is beyond the grave. Our hope is the resurrection day. That's when we're going to meet our friends again. And we're kind of listening, aren't we, for the trumpet? That's the resurrection day. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul says, comfort one another with these words. She said, I know that my brother is going to be raised from the grave. Well, it was a common belief at that time in the resurrection. The Pharisees, that was one of their main doctrines. They believed in the resurrection. They believed that death was not the end. There was more on the other side of the grave. I was reading in 2 Maccabees, and that's an apocryphal book, which means questionable authority. And there is a few things in... First and Second Maccabees that are historical. But one of the things that we find there is that they believed they were talking about 
the resurrection back during that time. And so they knew about the resurrection. Uh, and so there was this general understanding, listen, uh, there's going to be a, a resurrection. And she said, listen, I know about that. And so Jesus, she's way out there in the future. And Jesus brings her back into the present and looks at her and says, listen, I know you believe in the resurrection in the future, but look at me. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life in the present. I'm the one that produces all resurrection. Now, there are two things in that statement, and this is the fifth I am statement of Jesus here in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life, verse 25. Now, we've been talking these days about I am. Remember uh, the I am statement, Jesus is identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. And uh, when he kept repeating it, they kept getting the message that he is identifying himself with God the Father in the Old Testament. Remember in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was going to try his hand at delivering the nation of Israel from bondage, he asked God what his name was. And I find it interesting that God had not specifically stated his name before this. But in Exodus chapter 3, uh, the Lord said to him, listen, when they ask you that question, just tell them, I am. That's who I am. I am. And I think that whenever God made that statement, I am, Moses probably thought, well, you are what? He wanted more. Okay? He wanted more. He said, I am. That's it. That's enough. And so what's happening now in the book of John is Jesus, like, is filling, filling in the next part of the statement. I am what? I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And so God is saying, I am, or the Lord here is saying, I am, and that refers to his being. And uh, the next part of the statement is referring uh, to what the I am is about to do. He's going to give a resurrection. Now, in verse number 15 of Exodus chapter 3, uh, the Lord there specifically states his name to Moses. And his name is Yahweh. Now, you've heard that name used many times. It's not in our English Bible. The word Yahweh in our English Bible is, is written down with four capital letters. And if you look in your Bible, you'll probably find that there. Every time in the Old Testament, there are four capital letters for Lord. That's the word Yahweh 6,800 times in the Old Testament. But there are other mentions of the word Lord also in the Old Testament. It's not Yahweh. It's capital L, small letters, Lord. And so whenever you come across that word Lord in capital letters, think Yahweh or think I am. That's the meaning of the word Yahweh. And so here we find Jesus in the New Testament going all the way back into the Old Testament and saying, listen, 
I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the source of life. I can raise Lazarus now or I can raise him later. He's not going to die. You know, there's one thing that we can always count on and that's that we are not going to die. Our physical body dies because the Bible says flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to shed that. But our soul lives on. And Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 16, verse 22 and 23. Let's read this together this morning, please. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now Jesus here is telling the story of two people. He's saying, listen, there was a beggar. He didn't have much in life. In fact, he had very little. But he had the Lord. And so when he died, there was a entourage of angels that came to escort him to heaven. Abraham's bosom, that's where Abraham was. He was in heaven. And so he had a wonderful future ahead of him, but there was this rich man. He died and he was buried. And being in what? Torments. That's hell. He died and he went directly to hell. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now I know that a lot of people say that when a person dies, it's just like, um, well, that's all there is to it. And Jesus didn't believe that. Jesus said, listen, when a person's physical body dies, they either go to meet Abraham or they go to the place of torments. That's hell. That's the payment for sin. You know, whenever I think about the payment for sin, I often think about the solution for sin. What would cause God to send his son to die upon the cross for our sins? Torment in Hades. That's it. The Lord was trying to keep people out of there. Luke chapter 23, verse 43 says, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so what that means is this is when a person dies, their body goes to the ground. If they're Christians, we can say they are asleep in Jesus. Their body is resting. One of these days, it will be resurrected, reconstituted, remade uh, in, like unto the resurrected body of Christ. But uh, their soul never dies. It goes to the place that they've prepared it to go to. It goes to meet Abraham. Hi, Abraham. Good to meet you today. Or if there's no preparation, they go to hell. And so this is why the message that we teach and preach is so urgent. Because there is a wide road that leads to destruction. And many people that you know and I know are on that road to destruction. But there is another road that leads to heaven. And Jesus said, I am that road. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to meet Abraham unless he comes through me, unless he walks down this road. Well, what is the attitude of Jesus? Well, Jesus said, listen, uh, where have you laid him in verse number 34? Jesus is seeking the dead. 
That's his business today, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, The people that you and I care about, Jesus cares about them too. He's looking for them, really, and he's using you, he's using me uh, to cooperate in that quest. The Bible says here that uh, Jesus wept. What is he crying about? What is he weeping for? I think he's weeping for the effects of sin. Uh, Here's a person that has, in our family, that has fallen into some sinful practice. Uh, It breaks our heart, and we know, listen, boy, they're going to pay the price for this. We cry for them. Uh, Jesus is weeping because of the pain of sin. It's possible someone said that Jesus wept because he knew that there was a tomb for him in the future. And this makes sense too because, you know, remember at Gethsemane, Jesus did weep about his impending date with the cross. Well, Jesus wept. He was comforting Mary and Martha and those people that were there. And then he confronted the enemy. And the Bible says that the enemy is death. And he said, I want you to go remove the boulder, take away the stone in verse 39. Now he could have went like that and the stone could have like popped off. He could have willed it to happen, but he used human instrumentality in this miracle. And that means that God uses you and God uses me sometimes in his miracles. He doesn't need us, but he includes us. And so you may be a miracle this next week in somebody's life that God is trying to work, and he has a little part of it all sliced out for you. He says, remove the boulder, human instrumentality. Remember when Moses confronted Pharaoh, God says, what's in your hand? He said, this staff. He said, throw it down. He used Moses. Well, then he, then he prayed and he thanked God for the answer. And then he made this statement, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what happened? Lazarus came forth. Someone said if he wouldn't have used the word Lazarus, all the people from the graves would come forth. But he, but he did use the name of Lazarus. Uh, he came forth from the grave. Verse 43. Look at verse 44. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. He came out, but he was still wound up somehow in these grave clothes, and Jesus said, Listen, loose him. Uh, He had life, but not liberty, and so the grave clothes had to come off. So much like you and me, Whenever we are saved, we get the gift of eternal life, don't we? I give unto you eternal life, and you shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. We get to eternal life, but sometimes we have these grave clothes on us that just bind us, and we don't have the liberty to to move and to work in the Christian realm like we should. And so Jesus said, listen, I not only give you life, I give you liberty. There are things in our life that strangle us as a Christian. 
these grave clothes, maybe from our old life, things that slow us down, stop our spiritual walk. I want, to th- I want to ask you this morning to think about what is it in your life that slows you down? What is it in your life that causes you not to walk with, a, with zest but with a limp? And uh, you keep dealing with it and it's something that holds you back in the Christian life. What is it? Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Let him walk. Give him liberty. I want you this year to challenge you to take those areas of your life that hinder you from running spiritually and deal with them. Unwind them off of your life. There's something that's binding you. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a place you go to. Maybe it's, it could be anything. You fill in the blanks. We have life, don't we? We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the Lord wants us to be completely delivered. And there are things in our life that come into our life as we walk this journey that we have to keep dealing with, don't we? We don't ever get to the place where we say, okay, I've arrived, right? Because when we say that, we know we have another problem, right? It's called pride, right? We say, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. Well, uh, you just failed right there. You're, you're not doing pretty good. Well, This miracle. What is the result of this miracle? Well, the result was that uh, people believed. People became believers. Now, there are two kinds of resurrection. First of all, there's a spiritual resurrection and then there's a physical resurrection. Paul said in Ephesians, And you he made, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. When Jesus comes to us, we are dead in our spirit to God. And he breathes into our spirit his life. And we become alive to God. That's spiritual resurrection. And when we are saved, we start seeing God everywhere. In the morning when we drive to work, we see God. We see a few devils out there too along the way. But we see God. When we're in the office, we see God. Wherever we are, we see God. We have a new life. We've been raised from the dead spiritually. Um, One of these days, though, that journey will end. And uh, we'll be able to put on our grave, if we want to, to sleep in Jesus. And uh, then we wait for the resurrection. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Uh, my question to you today is this. Is have, have you experienced in your heart that first resurrection? When the Lord comes into your heart and gives you life that you never had before, wakes you up, hey, wake up, wake up. There's a world out there for you and gives you his life and pours into your life the Holy Spirit so that he can guide you and give you strength for the journey. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I wonder how many in our church this morning would say, listen, I can remember a time, a place, an experience in my life 
that uh, the Lord came to me and I invited him into my heart. And I've never been the same since. I, I haven't been a perfect Christian for sure, but I've never been the same and I've always sensed his presence with me. Now we call that salvation because when you're saved, you always sense the presence of the Lord with you. He's always ministering to you, convicting you, comforting you. If you're here today and you've never had that experience in your life, we call it the new birth. I'd like to invite you to invite Christ into your heart today. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to have an emotional experience. All you have to do is humble your heart in God's sight and say, God, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Send your spirit. I receive your gift of forgiveness that you, that you earned for me upon the cross. You purchased for me through redemption. Come into my life. I want to live spiritually. If you're here like that today, just pray in your seat and say, Lord, that's me. The pastor is talking about me. I come to you, Lord, humbly. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not, it's not hope so or maybe, it's whosoever shall call, shall be saved. Just call on him right now. And uh, for the rest of us, there are maybe some grave clothes in our life that have been slowing us down. We've been tripping over them, really. We want to run, but we can't. We want to walk straightly, but we limp. Well, let's, be, let's deal with that today, too, okay? Dear Lord, we thank you for this story because... Uh, there are so many elements of this story that are so relevant to our life. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have made us alive, and we thank you, too, that you have given us a measure of liberty in our, in our walk. We pray that each and every one of us today uh, will be able to uh, walk faster than ever before because of what you've shown us today in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Brother Chuck, you have an announcement. Yes, quick, one quick announcement. Uh, this Wednesday at 6.30, we're starting a new series in a men's Bible study called Not a Fan. Um, I know that, sound, that might sound like a weird name for Bible study, Not a Fan, uh, but the real theme uh, going with the Super Bowl today, uh, when you think about it, I, I saw a statistic that there will be 45 million uh, to maybe 100 million people who will actually watch the Super Bowl today, um, whether it's domestically or globally. And, but they're all fans who watch. The actual players, there's only about 200. Uh, so when you think of that, uh, the theme of the Bible study is not just to be a watcher, men, uh, to be a player, and a Christian player in, in, your, in your life, in the life of your family, in the, in the place where you go to work. And uh, we're going to learn how to do that. I really encourage you guys, uh, if you don't have any plans on Wednesday night at 6 30, please come on up and uh, learn how to be a player, a uh, Christian player. And, uh, Amen. 6 30, the men on Wednesday night. And the ladies, there's a place for you too. Uh, we have a ladies' Bible study. Kelly Corey is the teacher of that. And so. 
guys, bring your wives. Come on up here. for It's only an hour, but it's well worth it on Wednesday night. Okay? Let's stand together and be dismissed this morning. Turn around and shake hands with a few of your friends today. God bless you. You're dismissed.